Good morning, Westridge. Well, let's just get this out of the way right from the top here. Uh, the biggest ethical question confronting us this morning is um, how shall we then treat those with Packer paraphernalia? <laughs> now, I'm all for Christian unity, but uh, it has a limit. As it just so happened, I was consulting with a church in Milwaukee this week, and um, one of the church leaders walks in to our meeting, and he's got on a Packer letter jacket. I said, let me pray for your little sin-sick soul right now, and let's just get this out of the way. Then I had to fight my way back through the cheese curtain. I didn't think I was going to make it back alive. We've been talking about courageous heroes in this series, not uh, superheroes. They are courageous heroes who had the opportunity to be faithful on the journey where God had placed them. They were also imperfect heroes. Uh, Heroes who faced tough choices. And what this series shows us, among other things, is that everyone is wired differently. Everyone is on a different journey. And the combination of wiring and journey creates unique situations for all of us. The crux of the matter is the decisions that we make on the journey. Have you ever stopped to think about how many difficult decisions there are in life? I mean, they happen every day. Like, for example, when you're voting for American Idol and you don't know whether to vote for the one that you really like or the one that J-Lo really likes... Like when you wake up on Sunday morning and it's really cold and it's snowy and the Bears pregame starts really early. you got to decide whether it's worth it or not to get out of bed and come to Westridge or not. And then you've got that decision whether or not you're going to wear the orange jersey, the navy jersey, or the throwback jersey. Tough decisions in life. We were in New York City last week where I was teaching my annual class that I teach there. And, and though I've got a pretty good sense of direction, frequently we'd come up out of the subway, uh, even at a stop where we'd previously been, and I was confused about which direction to take. And there are few things I hate worse than getting lost. Because my wiring is such that I want to know exactly where I am, exactly where I'm going, and exactly how long it's going to take to get there. Anyone else like that? That's just the way I am. Trouble is, that's an impossible expectation. So I frequently end up frustrated. Our outlier today had plenty about which to be frustrated. In your Hebrew Bible is the story of Queen Esther. And she had some unexpected journeys and difficult decisions. She'll serve for us today as a model on our journey and in our difficult decisions. But before we begin, one observation has to be made that separates Esther from every other book in your Bible. Some of you already know what it is, and it's this. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, not even once. Not once in the Hebrew text. And yet, His presence is felt throughout. Why would a book that deals with as important a topic as the survival of the Jewish people not mention God by name? We come to forks in the journey of our life 
when the reading is finished, the praying is prayed, the counsel has been received, and it's time to decide. And frequently, like Esther, there are no formulas, there are no maps available, and it's only upon our faith in God we must trust. Now, back to Esther. You may not be faced with saving your race of people, but there are some common elements of Esther's decision-making process that apply to us. So let me just review the story real quickly for those of you who have not read it at all or those of you who have not read it recently. It's an interesting story. The time period is approximately 450 years before the birth of Christ. The Jews had been militarily conquered and taken from their homeland to Babylon. Persia replaces Babylon as the world power. Now, that background is needed to understand the story. Significant numbers of Jews were living in exile in Persia. You with me so far? This is the book of Esther we're talking about, not the pregame show, okay? Long before Hugh Hefner, there is Xerxes the king. And one day, Xerxes decides to have a drunken party and parade around his queen. Her name at that time was Vashti. He wanted to show her off in front of his buddies. Well, Vashti decides to take a pass on this display of beauty and gets herself fired as queen. This prompts Xerxes to do the first ever Persian idol search. The only difference between the Persian idol search and the American idol search is there was only one person who voted. So a Jew named Mordecai, he's living in the capital, and he urges his cousin, whom he helped raise, to enter the competition. Her name is Esther. And she is beautiful, and she wins the beauty contest. All the while, careful not to let the king know of her Jewish background. So far, life's good. The alien in the strange land, she's risen to the place of queen. Classic rags to riches story. Meanwhile, Mordecai, her cousin, you remember, he's sitting at the king's gate and he overhears a conspiracy plot to overthrow the king. And so he tells Esther, who in turn reports it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai, which is then entered into the official records that Mordecai had done this favor to the king. Life is even better. Esther's the queen. Mordecai is up for a medal of honor. But life is not over. Long before Hitler... There was Haman. The king promotes Haman, who has a nasty habit of expecting people to bow down upon meeting him. Have you ever met people like that? Mordecai, Queen Esther's cousin, encounters Haman, but he refuses to bow down to him. Now, Haman has a bad temper. And that prompts him to not only want to kill Mordecai, but all Mordecai's people who are the... Jews, which is, of course, the queen's people, but at this point, it's still a secret she's a queen. Are you with the plot line here, the narrative, the arc? Okay. Haman goes to the king and he convinces him that it is not in his best interest to let the Jews live. And so he goes to the king and he says, if you would just give me permission to exterminate the Jews, I'll be happy to carry that out on your behalf. 
And by the way, I'll deposit 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury. The king tells Haman to do what he wants. And by the way, keep the money. All of a sudden, life is not so good. Mordecai hears of the plan. He sends word to Esther. And he asks her to go to the king to plead for her people. Now keep in mind, the king doesn't know Esther is a Jew. Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you're the only one that can save our people. And then Esther patiently explains to Mordecai, you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, and you don't just go up to the king and casually chat about anything you want to, anytime, uh, about anything or at all, even if you are the king or the queen. And the text says this, this is chapter 4 of Esther. All of this background leading up to understanding this passage. In fact, the king has this law. Any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life, which prompts Mordecai to send this now famous message back to Esther or, uh, yeah, back to Esther in response. He says this, Don't think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family, you'll perish. And who knows, but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Now what we really come to learn on our journey is that life is a series of divine appointments, the outcomes of which hinge upon my decisions. We find that along the journey of life, there are some road signs that require us to make decisions, just like Esther was confronted with a decision she'd rather not have made. And sometimes they come at us pretty fast, so we've got to pay attention. The first sign is labeled this. Excuses or example? Will I give in to excuses or will I decide to be an example in the decisions that I have before me? Now, at any given moment, most of us have a ready-made list of excuses about why we can't do anything that's difficult in front of us. Call them rationalizations. Call them reasons. Say you're confused. Say you don't have enough information. But when it comes time to decide and you don't decide, it's an excuse. Now, the two excuses that Esther used, uh, sometimes we use. She had two very specific excuses, and we adopt them sometimes as well. The first excuse is this. It's the, it won't affect me excuse. And that made pretty good sense. I mean, you can follow her thinking here. Uh, I'm the queen. I live very comfortably. Nobody knows I'm Jewish. This decision probably won't affect me. I'll just let it pass. I'll ignore the problem. It'll go away. Now, when we adopt this excuse, it's the excuse that keeps us from getting involved in issues of mercy and justice frequently. Homelessness, that doesn't affect me. Crime in the city, that doesn't affect me. Discrimination and bigotry, that's not an issue for me. 
Brett Favre's retirement, that's not going to affect me. Okay, well, some things don't really affect you. If we learn anything from these stories, it's that we're all interconnected. What happens to any other human being potentially affects me, no matter how distant they are, no matter how different they are. And so Mordecai cuts through this narcissistic fantasy by saying, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family will perish. Not to decide is to decide. There is no fence to sit on because there is no fence. Beware the next time that you're motivated to inaction with the excuse, it doesn't affect me. Here's the second excuse that Esther used, and it's this one. It's the, it's too risky excuse. Now, she knew the law. If you go to the king without being requested, you will be put to death. And so she's thinking, this is a very risky proposition. But the excuse did not admit the greater truth of life, and that is this, that life itself is risky. Life, as Esther soon found out, does not present us with two boxes from which to choose. Risky life, non-risky life. That option is not available for us. That test paper is not put in front of us. Not to make a decision based solely on the fact that it's too risky, that's ultimately an excuse. The decision is this, will I do the right thing or will I do the selfish thing? Both are risky. Will you be an excuse or an example? Here's a second road sign on the journey about which we will have to decide. And it's this, random or purpose. Making difficult decisions, they always involve myriad questions, many of which include answers that, quite frankly, we won't see this side of eternity. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? Why is this happening to me now? And so Mordecai has a little question of his own that I think cuts through the excuses swimming around in Esther's head. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Now what if all these events that led up to Esther's difficult decision were not random? What if there was a purpose? What if there was a plan that was larger than any one person? What if it wasn't an accident that the king had this beauty contest and his queen Vashti was put away? What if it wasn't sheer luck that Esther was chosen as the new queen? I like the way Mordecai approaches it. Rather than laying a big guilt trip on Esther or begging her, he simply asks, who knows? And that's just it. You don't know exactly. We live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The just shall live by faith. Now, what does that have to do with the difficult decisions that I'm facing? This very practical life principle. Live every moment like it's filled with significance because it is. There are no small things. There are no insignificant moments. There are no casual encounters. There are no little people. Who knows? 
Now, maybe the circumstances in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff that you wouldn't have chosen, the stuff that you wish hadn't have happened, what if they had all been preparing you for the, the difficult decisions that you have before you right now or that you may have before you this year or next year that will enable you to make a key difference. Life is a series of divine appointments, the outcomes of which hinge upon my decisions. So the question left for us is this one. Will you trust God's provision once you make the right choice? Here's the final road sign we'll pass on our journeys. And it simply says, cowardice or courage. Now, if you've not read the end of the story in this book of Esther, uh, she ends up making the right choice. She saves her people. She retains her position. And the evil Haman, he gets hanged for his treachery. But I want to know how she was enabled to make the right choice. I want to know how she had the courage to make this risky decision to go to the king, risk her life, save her people. I believe there's a key in chapter 4, verse 6 of this book. And she says, when this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And she says, if I perish, I perish. Esther resolved what I think all of us have to resolve when making difficult decisions. What's the worst thing that could happen to me? Well, I could die. What if I do nothing? Or what if I choose the cowardly route? I could die. You can do nothing all your life and still lose your life. I want to die doing something that counts. And so behind Esther's ability to make difficult decisions, I think was the courage of conviction that allowed her to say, some things are worth dying for. Now here's one of the real secrets of difficult decision making. When you decide what's worth dying for, decisions get easier. Maybe that's why God is not mentioned in the book. It goes without saying. If God is not working behind the scenes, then there is no cause worth dying for. If this life is the only life, then there is no purpose, no preparation, no provision. As the French philosopher announced, there is no exit. Instead, there's just despair. And there's indecision. Without God, indecision abounds. And why shouldn't it? If I choose this life... I die. If I choose that life, I die. Neither choice offers dying with purpose and fulfillment, leaving a legacy, making a difference. It's a bleak disinheritance. Now, not to lay too much theology on you here at the end, but theologians call what we've been talking about the providence of God. It means the hand of God is in the glove of human events. And when I know that God has gone before me, I can have the courage to decide. And so as you look at your life right now, let me ask you Mordecai's question. Is God calling you for such a time as this? 
Who knows? Nothing's unimportant to God. Even clandestine dinner parties and the political coup of a pagan government. Now, I love the way the book ends. It ends with a party. It ends with the establishment of a new festival, Purim. And what's interesting about the name of that festival is it's from the Hebrew word meaning lot. We'd say dice. They cast lots like we would cast dice in a game of gambling. And it references Haman's activities. Haman threw the dice hoping he could destroy the Jewish people, but it came back on him and he and his sons were hanged. The last lesson that Esther teaches us is that we celebrate even though we're not liberated from our places of oppression. We celebrate even though our circumstances are not perfect. Even though life has not turned out as we would have scripted, we celebrate anyway. And the festival of Purim reminds us that God can preserve us even though we may be facing tough decisions in the midst of a big bad city with a pagan king. It's God saying, after you make the right decision, go have fun. Here's my permission to throw great parties in the city. Don't wait till everything's perfect to do that. Go ahead and party now. Is God calling you for such a time as this where you can make a difference? It's time to decide. <laughs> 